Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. The story goes that when Abraham Lincoln went to a slave market once, he was moved with compassion to place a bid on a young black girl. He won the bid and walked away with his property. His property, a young girl, was angry, sad, and scared, wondering what kind of abuse would befall her. But as they walked away from the slave block, Abraham Lincoln turned to the young girl that was now his property and said, You are free. What does that mean? She asked him. It means you are free, he responded. Does that mean I can be whatever I want to be? She asked. Yes. It means that you can be whatever you want to be. Does it mean that I can say whatever I want to say? The young girl said, still a sense of anger in her voice. Yes, Lincoln answered. You can say what you want to say. Does it mean, she went on, that I can go wherever I want? Yes, you can go wherever you want. Then said the girl, I will go with you. When we are free, we will follow the one who frees us. Last week we learned how Paul told the churches in Galatia that Jesus made them free. Because of their faith in Christ, they don't have to be tethered to the law of the Hebrew people. They don't have to first become Jewish, as Jesus was Jewish, to be a follower of Jesus. This was significant at this day and age. You didn't have to be one thing to become the next thing. According to Paul, any and all have a place in Christ. Paul famously said last week as we looked, there's no Jew nor Greek. There is no male nor female. There's no slave or free. We are free to be new creations in Jesus. That's Paul's message. We looked at it last week. It'd be tempting to stop there. And I won't deny that I actually had considered that. You know that this year I am trying to listen to God's word differently. I'm a part of the lectionary, which is an old and ancient way of of reading through scripture globally with other brothers and sisters in Christ. It, It literally means taking away my own sense of authority and freedom and to be directed in listening to God's word. So I won't deny that it would have been nice to just stop there. Paul's message is is beautiful. It's inclusive. We are freed from the pressure in Christ of having to earn our own salvation or worth. But having sat with this passage and reading on, I found that when we emerge from the waters of baptism and are 
clothed in Christ, it doesn't mean that we are free to do whatever we want. As Paul says it, we should not use our freedom as an excuse to do whatever we wish. The word entitlement comes to mind here. Entitlement is the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. And by that definition, as I look around, I can't help but to acknowledge that we live in an age of entitlement. I can prove it with one test. Take something away from someone and see how they respond. In light of the pandemic that we've experienced, in light of the changes and the shifts in culture, what's happened when you take something away from someone? Increasingly, we've seen and read about and even witnessed how civility plummets, decorum out the window. Bad behavior flourishes. We don't care about the other person. All we care about is our being right, our rights being preserved. Dang it. I want what I want. Do not stand in my way. At our best, we become unaware of how our behavior affects others. At our worst, let's face it, we just don't care. Our freedom to do whatever we wish, post whatever we wish, do whatever we wish, irrespective of others, is making our world intolerable. And there are moments where I'm not so sure I want to live in it much longer. Everything breaks down if everyone demands their freedoms all the time. There's an interesting logic that Christians frequently employ. We think, if we are free, that is, if we have faith that Jesus forgives us of our sins, then we're free to do whatever we wish or desire. Paul addresses this. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. An opportunity for self-indulgence? a bit nuanced, don't you think? That raises a few questions, but the truth is, if you consult the Greek, if you look at some of the other translations, there are better renderings. Namely, don't let your freedom become an excuse for letting your physical desires control you. It reminds me of eavesdropping in church when I was a child. Youth met downstairs in the basement, and there was a fairly large room, and I was waiting on my brother and sister, and so what I would do is wait outside the door. They frequently had the door open, and I enjoyed walking by the room and marveling at how these teenagers were just filled up this room on the ground, laying all over each other on the couches, and I would hide outside and listen to what they were talking about. I'll never forget. The youth pastor said, I know what you're thinking. The youth seemed disinterested. I remember watching them. He said, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I know it's wrong. 
but it feels good. And Jesus will forgive me anyway. Forgiveness, the seasoned youth minister said to them, forgiveness doesn't work like that. So I've been told that there are two kinds of preachers in this world. The first kind of preacher is the one that never talks about sex. And the other kind of pastor is the one that only talks about sex. I'll let y'all decide which one I am. What is it the old Baptist pastor said about sex? You can't talk about sex in a Baptist church because it might lead to dancing. Paul's not afraid to talk about what he calls desires of the flesh. In fact, he puts it front and center. He says, don't use your freedom as an an opportunity for self-indulgence. Don't let your freedom become an excuse for letting your physical desires control you. Yes, he says, we are free in Christ, which means that Jesus has given us a choice. We can use our freedom from the law to gratify ourselves, or we can use the freedom we've been given to live by the Spirit and experience holiness and true joy. Paul says, live by the Spirit. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit. And what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. What does Paul call this? Desires of the flesh? Sounds like that Harlequin romance novel that you found your great aunt reading. Or that new HBO series that everybody's tuning into, Desires of the Flesh. You want to talk about being a slave to something, y'all, it's desires of the flesh. I think it'd be helpful for us to own up to and be upfront about the reality of our desires. Paul was. Just as he does here, Paul confesses, what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. Carl Sandburg, the great author and poet, said, there's an eagle in me that wants to soar. And there is a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. Speaking of mud, Paul says that the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication impurity, licentiousness. Now, if I don't already have your attention, I soon will. Because Paul gets specific. So I suppose I will need to also. These three words are associated with sexual immorality, and he's warning against sex whenever and however you want it. He's warning against sexual intimacy outside of marriage, a covenantal relationship. He's warning against sexual indecency. That is, sex outside of the way God intended it, according to Scripture. Remember, y'all, our union with one another is God's idea and God's gift to us. 
sexual immorality means taking God's gift and doing with it whatever and however we like. Live by the Spirit, Paul says, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul doesn't stay there. He's got other things to warn us against. He says the works of the flesh are also idolatry and sorcery. No, this part of the mud pit may not nearly be as sexy as the previous one, but it's no less important and it convicts just the same as many of us learned in reading the book Seculosity about the rival gods that are out there that we give our time and energy to, idolatry here means giving your time, your energy, your heart and attention to something other than the one true God. And sorcery, sorcery is our participation in making our own desires come true. We're guilty of idolatry when we put our faith in other things ahead of what God can do and provide for us. The works of the flesh, he says, are also enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy. I don't know about y'all, but it sounds like Congress to me or our local PTA. These vices are the natural responses that we have when people don't do what we want them to do. We get angry. We talk about it with others. We divide up. There's irritation that boils into dissension, factions, quarrels. And apparently this is what was happening among the people in Galatia. And Paul writing from afar, is deeply concerned that these divisions, rooted in the sense of wanting to have it their way all the time, was destroying their churches, it was destroying their communities. He says, y'all remember, the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. Lastly, Paul warns against drunkenness and carousing. Again, there's a theme here. It's the license that we feel like we have that's driven by our desire to have it however we want it, whenever we want it, how we want it. He warns against drunkenness and carousing. And my read on it isn't that it's so much about substance abuse, as it is the motivation behind our use of a particular substance, whether it's alcohol, prescription drugs, or food. We get drunk when we are seduced by the idea that more is better and that better is best. We turn to substances as idols when we're hurting and desire instant relief. Drunkenness and carousing are not of the spirit because ironically, even though we use substances as a way to avoid pain, they lead to pain and suffering, additional suffering in ourselves and in our relationships. It's a long list of freedoms that have 
become perverted by our sense of desire and entitlement. If I want it, if I desire it, I should have it. And the effect that it has on me personally is suffocating. So instead of feeling free, I feel oppressed and trapped. Why is it that when Paul talks about freedom, I feel imprisoned by my desires? Am I the only one that feels powerless to these forces within me? I think when we reach this moment, there is a significant temptation to rationalize and normalize our desires and behaviors. I feel it. Therefore, I am free to live it out. Y'all, this is not an original thought. But I also don't think that it's the best way forward, saying that just because I feel this way means that I should do what I want. Just because we feel desire for something does not mean it is God-given or God-approved. We are more than our desires for physical pleasure or for wealth or for power or for protection or for whatever we think feels good. But there is good news here. And it's summed up in a story that someone shared about being confronted with another desire. An individual was confessing to a mentor about how she was drawn to a particular behavior. And the mentor said, well, what would happen if in the moment of your greatest temptation, I replaced that desire with a greater desire? And she said, what are you talking about? And the woman mentor said to her, what if I told you that I would give you $10,000 to not do what you want to do? And she said, well, I'd take it. Which proves that one desire can be replaced by another desire. And that those of us who find ourselves more often than not in the mud of our desires, forget that God can provide us with a desire for righteousness and holiness and fulfillment and joy that many of us have never truly experienced. I'll say it again. This all sounds fine. And we'll sit well in our Sunday school hours. But when we find ourselves alone and tormented by our desires, this still feels impossible, unrealistic. And again, I feel powerless, enslaved to my desires. Paul has a suggestion, however. He tells us to live by the Spirit. For those of us who like baseball, 
He's telling us to not let the Holy Spirit get warmed up in the bullpen and not allow them to take the field. It's a terrible mistake among managers. You warm somebody up in case they're needed, but because of the circumstance, they don't call a timeout and call that fresh arm in. So often, that's what we do. We do not avail ourselves of the gift and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Paul implores here that when we feel enslaved to desires that feel out of our control, that we should lean into the gift and presence of the Holy Spirit. Think about it, y'all. The only thing that can talk us out of using our freedoms for our own well-being and our own desires is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The only way we're going to replace one desire for another higher desire is if it's God-inspired and God-given. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the paraclete. And it is a Greek term that means helper. But that's only a shadow of its full meaning. The Holy Spirit as helper or paraclete was an ancient term used in battle. For you see, Greek soldiers went into battle not alone, but in pairs. Why? When they engaged the enemy, they fought back to back. There was always someone with you to take care of your blind side so that you couldn't be attacked when you were not looking. Two as the author of Ecclesiastes tells us, is greater than one. And that other warrior, that other partner is called, guess what? A paraclete, a helper. In the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does not just change us. The Holy Spirit walks beside us and protects us. Enabling us to see beyond ourselves, beyond the moment. To help us see that if we live a life opposed to the, the life that Jesus led, which was selfless and putting others before ourselves, that the gift of the Holy Spirit is there to enable us to see that what we've become is not what's best and that we certainly shouldn't use our freedom as a justification to do whatever it is we wish. There's an eagle in me that wants to soar, Sinclair says, and there's a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. Y'all, we've turned our waters of baptism into mud. But God gives us the freedom to choose. God gives us the freedom of choice whether we stay in the mud or not. And it's the role and presence of the Holy Spirit that wants to help us out of the mud. I wonder what we will choose. Let us pray. God, we are awed by the fact that you give us the freedom to choose. 
you do not mandate in us the lives that we are to live. It would be far easier, God, if you did. But instead, God, you give us the choice to accept your gift, to love you, and to be changed by you. Forgive us, God, for our worship of ourselves, of what we want, of the desires that we want to put first, the rights that we feel like we have, all irrespective of how it affects others. God, convict us. Help us to see how full of ourselves we have become and how empty we have become to you. Help us to become more Christ-like. Holy Spirit, lift us out of the mud that we've been wallowing in. Remind us of the waters of our baptism. Change us. Walk beside us. Protect us. Help us to see that when we choose to sacrifice, we find joy in you and that our families, our relationships, our churches, our community, our nation, and our world are all the better for it. For it's in Jesus, the great liberator, that we pray these things. Amen.